Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. join with us on this resurrection day as you have raised up your son to life eternal and from that for those of us that call upon your name lord that submit to your lordship you bring us also into the family and give to us that wonderful gift through grace of faith and salvation in which we too can have eternal life we invite you to join with us as we celebrate your presence as we express our love to you through song and through prayer and lord through scripture reading and through the message and then our response Lord, that you may be glorified in all that we do. Father, we thank you for the words that come to the prophet who hundreds of years before Christ came wrote, Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hid their faces, for he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, and it was upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds, Father, we are healed. Your word tells us that we have all, like sheep, have gone astray. And we have turned each and every one to his own way. And that you have laid on him, Jesus Christ, the iniquity of us all. For he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is before its shears silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut out out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of your people? They made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord the Father to crush him. And he has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring. And he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper his hand. For out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. And Father, you promised because of his obedience that you will divide him a portion with many. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul to death. And was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercessions for the transgressors. Peter preached that in Jerusalem, that there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. For it was in this manner that we learned that there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. And your promise is that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It is in this we rejoice 
It is in this we give you praise, and in this we declare your worth. In the name of Jesus Christ, who makes all things possible for us, we pray. And once again, God's people said, Amen. Amen. Praise be the Father, the glory of what Christ has done for us. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to take a break from the Gospel of Mark today to speak on the importance of Easter, or more specifically, the importance of the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, the death, the burial, and resurrection of Christ are important events in Christianity. It is these events that separate Christianity from other beliefs and religions. No other major religion makes such claims as the Bible does concerning Jesus. Men and women have gone to their death in the belief that Jesus is not only a historical figure, but that he was the Son of God, and that he died, that he was buried, and that he rose from the death. The tomb is empty. Amen. The Apostle Paul relied on this fact in his evangelistic endeavors as he testified in 1 Corinthians 2, 1-2. through 2, He says, And when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Paul continued this theme later in his letter to the church of Corinthians, and we look at 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 8, where Paul writes to the church of Corinth when he says, Now I remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, which is an important thing. There was those that they could go to. There was witnesses, though some have fallen asleep. In verse 7, Then He appeared to James, and then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. And Father, I pray that you would show yourself to us this morning, not in some heavenly vision or some type of trance, but Father, through your scriptures, as it says here, according to the scriptures. And we thank you for the word that we have this morning that testifies to who you are and of the importance of your death, your burial, and resurrection. For many, it's just another Sunday, it's a day off, it's a time to, to dress up, it's a time for Easter eggs, and all those things may have their place, but of first importance, Father, is the crucifixion and the resurrection of your Son. So be with us this morning, open our hearts, and help us to respond to the Holy Spirit's promptings. We pray this in the name of Christ, amen. You may ask, why is the gospel so important? If you're here any time of our church, you're going to hear the gospel quite a bit. You're going to hear the term gospel, good news. And I know many times it's like, Rob is a broken record. Well, I follow the example of Paul where he says, I know nothing. To be honest, you really don't care what I know or what I think. The most important thing is what the scriptures say. And so why is the gospel important? I think it's important for many reasons. There are too many people today, including Christians, who are concerned with things of no eternal value. Ask yourself the question, what is it that you care about the most? Is it your marriage? Is it your family and your children? 
Is it your finances? Is it your retirement, your, your happiness, your, your favorite recreation? What is it that keeps you up at night? What is it that you dream about and your aspirations? Both your calendar and your checkbook would give us that answer. What do you spend your time thinking about, wishing about, dreaming about? On what do you spend your time doing and your money purchasing? We believe these things are important. However, these are not always the most important. The world tells us that these things are important. Madison Avenue tells us these things are important. But what does the Bible have to say of what is it that should keep in our minds and our thoughts? And I have to tell you, it's not these things. If you have your Bible, turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 6. For all these things are good, and many of these things are gifts from God, and many of these things can be used to bring God the glory, but when we spend our money, our time, our energy, our life on these things, the Bible tells us that it becomes futile. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter 6. This is here in your Bible. Solomon has something to say. For he says, there's an evil that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind. A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honors, all the things that you and I desire for ourselves, so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires, yet God does not give him power to enjoy them. But a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. It is a grievous evil. In verse 3, he says about family, If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things, and he also has no burial. I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. For it comes in vanity and it goes in darkness, and in darkness its name is covered. Who will remember him? Moreover, it has not seen the sun or known anything, yet it finds rest rather than he. Even though he should live a thousand years twice over, yet enjoy no good, do not all go to the one same place. In essence, Solomon is telling us what we've learned from our own experience is that those things that we think are most important in the end will not truly satisfy. They do not last. In the end, we lose it all and die. Their only importance is related to the degree in which it leads to the knowledge and worship of God. As Solomon would write later at the end of Ecclesiastes when he says, The end of the matter is this. All has been heard. The evidence has been gathered. He says, Fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. What's of first importance? To fear God and to serve Him. For he says, for God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether it is good or whether it is evil. But there's a problem here. See, you and I cannot even accomplish this task in our own power. You and I are incapable of fearing God and keeping His commandments. Hence the importance of the gospel. Why is the gospel important? Look here at Romans chapter 1 on the screen. For Paul writes, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? 
For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. You see, the gospel is of first importance because it proclaims how you and I can be right with God and leave the land of darkness. How we can have satisfaction in life. And how we can have life and life more abundantly. I'd like to answer the question, or at least define what is the gospel. For many of the people define the gospel differently. If all the churches that you might go to, you might find as many variations of the gospel. Whether it's in the church or whether it's outside the church. Let me tell you this first, the gospel is not. The gospel is not about self-esteem, about feeling better about yourself. Unfortunately, that's what's being peddled to many. The gospel is not about self-realization, about finding the real you and your real identity and where you fit in the world. The gospel is not about self-improvement, of learning how to be a better person. The gospel is not about self-righteousness and earning your own salvation. To many, that's the good news. To be a better me, to find my place in the world, to be better at something, to earn my own salvation. But that's not the gospel. Those things are not of first importance. But that's where we spend our time, our energy, and our money in. If you would look at the top 10 nonfiction books, you're going to find books of how to be a better you. You're going to find a better health, a better financial, to be a better husband. And unfortunately, many Christian publishers have followed down that road in trying to answer the same problem. We have one man who was a pastor for many years, built up a great big church, was known as one of the first megachurches. And in his death, the best that can be said about him is that he was a great entrepreneur. I wonder if we could say that about Paul. You see, everyone else, the world, thinks what's important really is nothing but dust. Amen? And so I'm here to share with you what's of first importance. It's the gospel. You see, here's what the gospel is. It's God, it's man, it's Christ, and it's the response. I want to share with you what the gospel is. The gospel is realizing these four things. These will not be new to you. They'll be very comfortable. You'll know them. You've heard them from me before. The gospel is realizing that God is perfect and holy. God tells us in Isaiah that holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. Jesus informs us in Matthew that our Heavenly Father is perfect and we must be perfect as He is. The Gospel Primer tells us that God has created us, that He might be the supreme object of our admiration. For everything that you have in this life that is good is a gift from Him to you. Every breath, every blinking of the eye, every function of your organ is a moment-by-moment -moment gift to you. All that He's given us. And unfortunately, when I hear the gospel, many times people begin the gospel with me. About you going to heaven. And they forget the very important thing is we must start with God. For you and I must understand this, that life is not about you. That's a surprise, is it not? It's not about you. 
But yet, what's of first importance in our life is about getting what's mine, getting what's ours. We need to realize that God is perfect and holy. However, we have not honored Him as perfect and holy, have we not? We've relegated God to just the fringes of society. The most uses of God's name is now in vain as a swear word, as a word of exclamation. It's in the name of God that we will drive out of our schools, that we will drive out of our prayers. It's the name of God that we'll even drive out of our own churches in the search for secular welcoming arms. And that leads us to the second point of what the gospel is. See, the gospel is recognizing that God is holy and perfect, but it's also realizing that you and I have a problem. And that problem is, is because we did not honor Him as God, as the object of our admiration, is that we need our sins wiped out and not judged by God. Again, that's something that people miss in scriptures. They say, yes, the gospel is about getting my sins forgiven, but really, too many people, it's about just wiping my slate clean. But it's more than that. It's understanding that because we have rebelled against a holy God, that we stand under judgment. That we stand as children and objects of His wrath. Paul writes to the churches in Rome that none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God, all have turned aside. Together, it says that they have become worthless. There comes self-esteem. The Bible tells us that in the eyes of God, we become worthless. For no one does good, not even one. And as we see, that means all of us. For it says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that because of the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Because by our unrighteousness, by our rebellion, we have suppressed the truth. You see, the good news of the gospel, though, is that the blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man in whom the Lord will not count his sins. For the good news of the gospel is not only have we sinned, but we need our sins wiped out and not judged by God. And hence the tension in the biblical story. But God provides the answer. God requires perfect obedience. God requires perfection from us. But we know that we cannot, for Scripture tells us, that we're worthless. That we're all sinners, guilty in His eyes. However, God always provides what He requires. And in this case, He sent one and provided one who would provide all that we need. And this brings us to the third point. The gospel is realizing that the solution to our problem is found in Jesus Christ. He's the one who suffers and bears our penalty and also earns our righteousness. Scripture informs us that in Him we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of trespasses according to the riches of His grace. The Bible tells us what Jesus accomplished at the cross when Paul writes that as one trespass, one sin led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification, which means being made right with God. It leads to justification in life. 
For he goes on to write, For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. We call this the great exchange. Many of you know the story. You've seen the movies. Jesus on the cross. And you remember the phrase when he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was at that time that God the Father could not look at His own Son. For He took our sin, our filth, our unrighteousness, our rebellion, all the things that you and I cannot stand to look at when we look in the mirror and we examine ourselves, He placed it on Jesus Christ. And in regard or in exchange... God took Jesus' obedience, His perfection, His perfect obedience, and He took it and He placed it on those who accept Him. And when Jesus sees us, He sees us as in having the righteousness of Christ. That's what it means to be in Christ. Not that I have earned my righteousness, not that I have become righteous, but He declares me righteous because of what Jesus has done. In other words, you're getting credit for someone else. It's like you having a great debt to some type of financial bank and someone says, well, I'll pay it. And Jesus and God and the banker says, I'll accept that on their behalf. I'll apply it to their credit. That's what happened in the great exchange. The solution to our problem of sin is found in Jesus Christ who suffers and bears our penalty and earns our righteousness. There is the truth and the joy of Christ's death and burial and resurrection. For in that, He brings us back to God. And the fourth thing that you and I must realize about the gospel is that our response to what Jesus has done for us, our response is to repent and to turn to God in faith. Paul tells the church of Ephesus that it's by grace that you've been saved. And that saved is through faith. And that is not of your own doing. It's a gift of God. Not a result of any works. Not a result of your heritage. Not a result of anything that you've done. So that no one may boast. John the Baptist preached simply that we must repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And believe in the gospel. When the Philippine jailer asked, what must I do to be saved? Paul responded, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. So the gospel is the good news that Jesus has provided what God required. Not only perfection, but also the payment of God's justice and God's wrath has been satisfied. Paul tells us in Romans that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. The resurrection is more than just a theme, but it's the power of salvation. For with the heart one believes and is justified, being made right with God, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Have you done that this morning? Have you confessed that Jesus is Lord? Do you trust in what God has done? It's taking and saying, I no longer trust in my goodness. I no longer trust in my righteousness. I no longer trust in my heritage. I'm going to let that go and just trust.
that God has accepted what Jesus has done on my behalf. And when we do that, the scripture tells us that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So that defines what the gospel is. It's not about me, but it's about satisfying the wrath and justice of God as he also gives us his love and mercy in doing so. Nothing that we deserve, but a gracious gift. I'd like to share with you now, the gospel is the good news, what Jesus has accomplished. I want to now share with you, why is it so important about the death and burial and resurrection? Why is that so important? Couldn't we have had all of this in some other way? Why is it that God chose to kill His own Son? Why is it that He chose for Him to die? Why did He choose to have Him suffer and be tortured on my behalf? Because there's importance in what God does. The importance of Christ suffering on the cross was that He bore God's wrath. Galatians 3.13 tells us that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. How? By becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Isaiah 53.6, we read it earlier, says all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity, the sin of us all. Romans 5.9 tells us that we have now been justified by His blood. Much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. The importance of Christ suffering on the cross on that cruel Friday, you've seen it in the Passion, you've seen it in other movies, is that He bore the wrath of God. And let me tell you, if you miss that in the Gospel, you're missing a very important thing. You see, we want a bloodless Gospel. That's what the world wants. That's why it's just for them, the good news is about self-esteem. It's about self-realization. It's about self-improvement. It's about adding Jesus to the mix. But let me tell you, his suffering was that I do not have to suffer for eternity. And With that, that means for those that do not call upon the name of the Lord, the wrath of God still abides on them. And their suffering will be great. You and I must understand that. That ought to motivate us. That ought to compel us to share the good news with others. You do not have to suffer. Let me tell you, hell is real. No matter what Rob Bell or anyone else says, it is a real place. Judgment awaits those who do not call on Christ. The importance of Christ dying was that He bore the penalty of sin. And this is so important. It says, for the wages of sin is death. For you and I, for rebellion against Christ. And let me tell you, you may be sitting here today and says, I have not rebelled against Christ. The Bible says you're guilty. Not because of actually what you've done, but the fact that you're very born. For our fathers have sinned, and we are guilty because they are guilty. It is passed from one man to the next. doesn't matter if you're 99, 29, 9 years old, or 9 months, or 9 weeks. We're all born in sin. Jesus bore that. And I don't think we always understand. As Paul says, Christ died for the ungodly. 
But God shows His love for us that while we were still sinners, still sinners, Christ died for us. It's not about cleaning up our act. It's not about us doing better and getting to a certain point and then Christ takes over. But it's the fact that He dies for us when we still hate Him, when we still are rebellion against Him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. The fact, the importance of Him dying is that He bore the penalty of sin. And that's what you and I need. We need our penalty. We need our debt to be paid by someone else. For you and I cannot pay it. We do not have the resources. We do not have the money. We do not have what it takes to please God and pay that penalty of sin. Then the importance of Jesus rising from the dead was that He gave us life. Amen? And here's where it's turning. Everything seems so dark and so drastic in those first one. But then we see on Resurrection Sunday, as He's alive, the angel proclaims, we see that we too can be alive. It says in Romans, we were buried with Him by baptism and the death, in order that as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. It says if we've been united with Him in a death, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection. He tells us again, if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you and I when we respond in faith and trusting in what Christ has done for us, it says we will also be given life in our mortal bodies by the Spirit that dwells in us. Then Colossians chapter 2. And this has probably come to my my favorite verse, my go-to verse. I wish I would have known this as I was a younger man. Verses 13 and 50 of Colossians 2 says, You who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. Speaking of those of us who were sinners, which is each and every one of us. He says, God has made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities, and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them. The importance of Jesus rising from the dead is that you and I, too, will be raised from the dead. Amen? And we look forward to that day. That is our hope. And that hope is not a wishful hope, as in I hope I win the lottery. I hope the Easter bunny comes. I hope I get marshmallow eggs. I hope someone bought brownies with walnuts. It's a confident expectation that it will happen. That's why we look for the blessed coming and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior. That if we die in Christ, we too will be raised up. As Paul says, as in my death, I am there present with the Lord. And here's the good news of the gospel. And this is why the gospel is important. Because it's through Christ's obedience, you and I are made right with God. And let me tell you, you've heard me say this before. I know it's becoming a cliche, but it is a truth there. You say that I'm all right with God. Some of you think, me and God, we got it all worked out. But let me tell you, you may not have a problem with God, but God has what? A problem with you. For you're in rebellion against Him. 
But God has reached out in His love and has made us one of His children for those He calls. And maybe He's calling out to you. Come to me. Come to me. Come to me. If so, would you come this morning? Would you repent of your dead works and turn to Christ? Through Christ's obedience, we were made right with God. That is what's of first importance. You and I need to be made right with God. It is the need of every man, woman, and child. Let me tell you, there are many people today that do not know Christ and they have a great marriage. They might have been married 50, 60 years. There are people today that do not know Christ and have wonderful children. They have wonderful retirements. Life is good. But let me tell you, they will lose all of it. There's not too many funerals that are followed by U-Haul. He doesn't go to heaven with you. And when you stand before Christ, there is not going to be the 99% and the 1%. It is going to be an equal opportunity judgment. Do you know Christ or do you not? And all those things of having all your eggs in one basket, it doesn't matter. For they will be cracked and they will fall and be rotten in the presence of of a perfect, almighty God. What's first importance in your life? I pray that it's the gospel. It's not your job. It's not your family. It's not your retirement. It's not your recreation. It's not some other thing that you're doing, but it's the gospel. If we get everything right but the gospel, we are lost. Romans tells us that we are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood. It's a big word. The word propitiation carries the basic idea of appeasement or satisfaction. It's a two-part act that involves appeasing the wrath of an offending person and being reconciled to him. Let me tell you, to have your sins forgiven is not enough. For you can forgive someone, but still have a very difficult relationship, do we not? Have you not had people in your life in which you've forgiven, but still that relationship is struggling? You don't trust them. You have a hard time with them. But here we see God not only forgives us, but now because of His Son, He looks on me with favor. Do you want that? When God looks at you at the judgment day. What do you want Him to see? When He looks at your children, your grandchildren, your co-workers, your family, what do you want them to see? We want to see a God who's looking down with loving eyes on His children. Let me share with you, why is this important? It's important to two different groups of people. For one, it's important to unbelievers. For those of you who have not yet heard the gospel, to those of you who have not called them, it's very important to you. Why? Because judgment is coming. The Bible tells us, appointed unto man wants to die. Then after that, the judgment. Revelation says, And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were open. Then another book was opened, which was the book of life. 
and the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they've done. If you're trying to attain heaven by your own works, one day you will get your audience. You will get a chance to plead your case. It says, And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to what they had done. But it says that your righteousness are as filthy rags. It says, Then death and Hades, which is speaking of hell, were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Hell is not your final resting place. Final resting place is the lake of fire. As real as this podium that I'm standing behind. And that may be difficult for you to understand. But if you believe in a heaven, if you believe in a God, then hell is just as real. For God is a God of love, yes, but He's also a God of justice. So today I implore you, would you respond this morning by trusting in the perfect obedience of Jesus Christ in order that you may be declared right with God? Not that you're made right, not that you'll always be right, but in God's eyes, you will be declared right. Even though you're guilty, God says you are right because of what Christ does. John tells us, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. If you're hearing these words for the first time, if you're here and you've never called on the name of Christ, would you do so today? There's no special words. There's nothing that you need to do. You just need to say, Father, I repent. And I want to turn and trust in what Jesus has done for me. Father, I will follow. Would you do that this morning? If so, would you write that down on that card and put it in the offering plate? Would you come if you have questions? See me, see Dustin. We'd love to share with you more how you too can be a Christ follower. How you too can have what's of first importance. How you too can have eternal life. But then I want to talk to believers. Because what's of first importance, the gospel means much to you also. You may ask, well, why do we need to hear this again? We hear this all the time. I could share line by line what you're going to say. I would say that's good. Do so. I'd take you to Hebrews chapter 2. Why must we as believers hold this of first importance? Why is it that we must continually hear about the gospel? Why must we celebrate Easter? Why do we celebrate Lord's Communion? Why do we gather each Sunday morning to proclaim that Jesus is Lord? Look at Hebrews near the back of the New Testament. Chapter 2, let's look at the first four verses. He says, Therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away. We must pay much closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? How do you neglect it? By not sharing it, by not living it, by not reading it. For it was declared at first by the Lord and was tested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His 
will. Why must we hear the gospel? Why must it be of first importance once we got it? Can't I just go on? You and I must never drift from this important truth. For there are pastors and preachers, churchmen and churches who have already drifted away. They have neglected the very truth of the gospel. The Bible warns us about this, that in the end days there will be people with itching ears and there will be many pastors and preachers who are ready to scratch them with the things that they want to hear. So you won't get lofty wisdom and you won't get all sorts of fine, wonderful things. What you and I need is the gospel for its of first importance. You and us must cling to it. We must meditate on it. We must live it out and we need to share it with others. Today, this morning, what's of first importance to you? It's not the gospel. that anything else that you put above it is an idol. It's idolatry. And it will fail you. And it will stand in judgment as a witness against you in that day of Christ. You see, you think you'll stand before Christ and say, well, look what I did. I did this, I did this, I did that. But those very good works will stand out and say, condemned, guilty, wrong. Would you believe in the gospel this morning? Hold on to it. Cling to it. Make it of first importance in your life. Father, show us how we do that. If there's any here this morning that do not know the gospel, I pray that you would prick their hearts this morning. I know it can be harsh words, but Father, they are actually good news. For there are too many people who think that they're okay. They don't need a Savior, they just want a solution to the problem. But Father, we recognize that our problem is, I need a Savior. I need someone to not only forgive my sins, but to wipe away the judgment against me. And Father, you have sent your Son to do just that and praise you for it. All glory for you. And the fact that he has died and he is buried and he was resurrected tells me that even though I may die in him and even though I may be buried, that we will be resurrected in that last day. That we will be with you for eternity and we will be declared righteous. You will call me son. You will call me faithful based not on my goodness and my things, but on what Christ has done for me. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to examine our lives, show us those things that we've put before you and your people and sharing the gospel. If so, Father, convict us of it, help us to repent and confess of it. Lord, what's in first importance, always be the gospel as we share it with those that we love and care about it. In your name we pray. Amen. I'm just going to ask with every head bowed and every eye closed for a moment as you just ask, what's important in your life? Are you ready to choose Christ? If you're here this morning, you've never accepted Christ, but you're here and saying, I want to choose Christ this morning. Would you just raise your hand and then put it down just say, I just want to choose Christ. Thank you. And for those of you who would say, you know, I have chosen Christ, but I have struggled making the gospel of first importance. I am guilty of putting other things more important than Him. And I choose this morning to making it a commitment of the gospel. Would you just say, pray for me? Just raise your hand quickly and just put it back down. Thank you, many of you, many of you. May God bless you.
May God direct you and may His favor show on you. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.